Hello friends, welcome to Audience of One, where mass appeal is not the aim. Today we're going to discuss something a little bit more personal after discussing some more societal issues, I would say. I've invited my friend back again, Mike, uh, from a previous episode, to discuss the issue of living with mental health and addiction. While these are often separate issues, in many cases, they occur together and constitute what is called a dual diagnosis, which I had never heard about until I started getting ready for this episode. Before we go any further, I'd like to point out that if you are facing a mental health issue, be it depression, bipolar disorder, suicidal thoughts, or addiction, or if you think this might be the case, I assure you that you are loved, you are valued, and you should try to keep that in mind. Reach out to a trusted loved one or a mental health professional for some help. And if you know or suspect that someone you know is in that situation, we recommend that here and now you reach out to them and try to help. At the end of the episode, I'm going to share some help resources that can help you, whether you are helping someone or yourself. But I should also point out that nothing we discuss here today is prescriptive. This is only the sharing of an individual experience. So I welcome Mike again to the show. Okay, thanks, Issa. All right. These topics that I'm going to be addressing um, are two issues that I live with. Um, a lot of people don't speak about these things openly. I do. Um, anybody who will listen, I'm more than happy to tell them that I have the challenges of the disease of addiction and the disease of my diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Um, there's no shame to it for me anymore. It wasn't always that way. I used to be very ashamed of it. But what has happened over the years is that more and more people have called me. Parents have called me about their son or their daughter. Uh, I've had people who called me about their brother-in-law. All sort of people will call me. How they know I have um, issues with addiction or anything else, I don't know. Maybe it's because I just tell people openly that I deal with this thing on a daily basis. So if nothing else but that, it's worth telling the world about it and my struggles, if I can help one person. So I will start with my addiction first. Um, the addiction was very evident to me when I started losing everything. First, it started with weed, you know, early 20s. First of all, I was into sports. I'll back up a bit. I was into sports and all of that. So when all the kids at school, all the boys at school used to hide and smoke weed and drink and thing, that wasn't for me because I had training the next morning. I wanted to do well at the next event. So that was a no-no for me. Plus, my father drank. My father was an active alcoholic for most of my life. So I thought there's no way I'm going to drink and put other people through that or put myself through that. But ironically, I started smoking weed later on. So it started with weed when I moved to the States. And the States can be a very lonely place. 
and where I was was in Florida, living alone. And now in hindsight, I think I was going through depression at the time. And so I went out one night, got with some people, started smoking weed, and I thought, whoa, this is the answer. Um, and, and as soon as I asked myself, answer to what, Michael? It took me 35 years to answer that question. But I do specifically remember sitting on the banks of a canal in the Everglades and saying, this is the answer. 35 years later, I realized that marijuana smoking for a lot of bipolars is a common thing. It's, it's self-medicating, you know. It balances the high with the low. It, and it worked for a while. But unfortunately, being an addict, we uh, abuse it. So my addiction eventually took me to crack cocaine. I started selling it. I started selling cocaine, selling weed. And little by little, I started dabbling in my own supply. I was often running to the track when I started crack cocaine. I mean, I gave up everything for crack cocaine. Within a short space of time, I lost my job. I sold everything of value. It got so bad that I was living in a tent and I used to sweep off a veranda to sleep on a veranda at night. That's where my drug addiction took me. Um, and so family members got together, bought a ticket for me <clears throat> and sent me back to Jamaica. So um, you want to say anything in the meantime? Yes, I am just picking up my jaw off the ground, Mike, because I did not know any of this. And you and I have been friends for a number of years. I never suspected that this was all part of your story. That being the case, I can say I find it inspiring to see the person that you are now, having gone through all of that. And I hope anybody in earshot of this podcast who is struggling Please know that redemption and recovery is possible. We have evidence right here. And as you said, Mike, there is no shame in it. In the same way somebody can have a stomach problem or a foot problem, the same way you can have a brain problem. And that can also perpetuate an addiction problem. These are just ailments in different parts of the body and some manifest more obviously than others and in, in ways that, that draw an undue amount of stigma. But as we, we look at your story, Mike, the start of the addiction, starting with weed, but sort of coming about after you migrated from Florida feeling a little alone, you would not yet have been diagnosed with a mental health issue, I, I don't think. And uh, the weed seemed to have helped level out whatever those issues were. And then the weed leading to the crack cocaine. So maybe you can tell us how long you were actually addicted to the, the, the crack cocaine. We leave out the, the weed part for now because it's, it's, it's sort of less dramatic and destructive. But So how long were you addicted to, to, to crack cocaine? Certainly in that initial spell. Well, crack, crack um, caused damage very quickly, which was a good thing, actually, because 
weed is a very insidious drug and you can actually function quite well on weed for a while, but you're always functioning, functioning at half ass, you know. Um, right. I was in denial about that. But to answer your question regarding crack, I would probably say about a year, year, year and a half maximum um, from the first time I tried it to the point where I was sweeping off a veranda to sleep at night. That's about how long it took. That would have that would have been a what your early twenties would it be? This would have been actually late twenties. I came back to Jamaica yeah. here when I was twenty seven. Um, yeah. So this would have been, and I was sent back to Jamaica primarily to come for rehab to get away because I was getting into trouble up there. There were drug mm-hmm. dealers looking for me. I had to kind of escape. So it was I had to come back to Jamaica to to escape all of that um so and i never went back mm-hmm. you see i i see what what you're saying because you see the with the weed it can function to whatever level you know there's a almost an invisibility to it um you know some people more than others of course i know people who smoke weed no judgment um and i'm not necessarily qualified to say who would be in a use or misuse or abuse of substance situation. Um, but because there is this degree of functioning, you, you may not, and, and certainly in your case, you, you, you may not know or acknowledge that there is a, a negative impact of, of some sort on your functioning. On the other hand, with the crack, the impact was so much more dramatic that not only did you know, but those around you knew there was a problem of a magnitude that needed addressing. And that's what led you to your intervention. That's, that seemed to be the story. In fact, I had a former coworker who became addicted to crack. And I was able to help him get through a rehab program. It was a residential program. Um, I can't remember the body that, that ran the program. And after he was done, I had a chat with him and I asked him how he ended up there in the first place, how he ended up using. And he described a situation where he was with a woman who he didn't know in a hotel room. And before they did whatever they went there to do, she just took out a a small package of a small piece of foil from her handbag and asked if he minded if she she took a, a hit of whatever she had. And he said he didn't mind, and then she offered him if he wanted a hit, and that was it for him. He said he from that from that minute he he was an addict. Um, his life spiraled out of control right after that. So I'm curious, how did you end up becoming addicted? How quickly um, did it happen? I mean, you don't have to necessarily tell us the exact circumstance, but but I am curious to know how quickly you 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 felt you became addicted. How how did that play out? Well, I would say that scenario you just outlined. The only difference with me was that it was two girls, not one. But ah, well, exactly the same. We're talking to, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so it hit me immediately put it this way i called in sick the next day the day after and then by the third day 
the union rep gave me a call and said, hey, what's going on with you? And I said, not man, not, not, not coming into work today. But that's how quickly it took a hold of me that I took 48 mm-hmm. hours on. Right. You were, you, were, you were an addict by that. By that. I, it, it, just, it just grabbed a hold of me immediately. So it seemed, it seemed the, 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 the mistake, certainly for some people, is just, is just trying. That's, that's, that's just one step too many um, for certain substances at any rate. It seems that all that might be necessary to establish a chemical dependency is just that one one try. I mean, weed is was very readily available in Jamaica, but fortunately, it, it doesn't seem to have the same degree of addictiveness. Um, and even if it does, as we discussed before, it it it, it maybe come with a little more function functional. Um, yeah, you're more functional. Um, but if you, especially if you have a predisposition to addiction, then you know certainly some of those other substances. You all you need to do is is try it once, and then it's boom. Absolutely. In fact, for a long time, I thought <clears throat> no. I even after I realized this thing was, you know, getting the better of me, and my life was going downhill rapidly. I kept thinking, no, man, I can control this because I would go places with people and they would smoke a little and then they'll put it down on the table and they say, hey, listen, I forgot to work tomorrow. I can't do any more of this and got up and left. And I was like, I could not do that. I could not leave until everything was finished. And even when everything is finished, if I had money, I'd go out and buy more. Um, There was a, a time when I would snort lines and, uh, you know, a lot of people would snort lines when I was in Florida. And the same thing, they would snort a few lines and then they'd get up and go to the party or whatever. And when they have left to go to the party, I'm still there snorting the lines. And I should have known then that's something not right here, Michael, because I just... That is that, you know, even even if you knew you you were addicted right away, it, it would have been too late. I mean... Just from my limited knowledge, um, as, I, as I said before, there, there seemed to have been a, a predisposition to addiction. Just, just you setting out your whole um, story and, and, and personality. Um, and people who have a predisposition to addiction can get addicted to anything. Drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, you know, any other common vices, whatever they expose themselves to. Um, and of course, exercise, even danger, you know, um, these adrenaline junkies, as I call them, whatever they expose themselves to, it can become addicted. Um, and other people are less so. That's not to say they can't get addicted, but maybe they might require a little more prolonged exposure. Um, yes. Well, there is. So, yeah, go ahead. Uh huh. Go ahead. No, I was, no, I was saying gonna... there's no scientific. There's no scientific proof to this, but what I've observed in the, especially in the um, the sporting arena, and in the areas that I was sports doing sports, is the athletes who are obsessed. You know those guys who will get up early in the morning and train, and then go back again in the evening and train, and obsessed about their sport. I find, and they do well 
I find those are the ones that seem to have the addictive trait because I know quite a few of them when, when they were no longer performing well in sports or could no longer do the sport for whatever reason, often went off and started drinking or smoking and became addicted in other things. Yeah. You know, as you well, said, as, a, as an addict, it's not just drugs for us, you know. Even, right. even exercise in of itself is a drug. And it can be yeah. addictive. I remember I was injuring myself because I had to exercise. I wonder if we can change tack. Um, maybe, maybe slightly. But to, to get on to what I think might maybe be even the, more, the most important part of the discussion. Um, that's to say the, your recovery. I'd like you to tell us about your recovery, Mike. Um, you, you, your friends and family members intervened and sent you back to Jamaica when they, they realized you had the problem. But that by itself wouldn't have been enough because you can get weed, coke, crack, anything that you want, you can get in Jamaica too. So what did they do? What did you do that worked that caused you to shake the, the addiction and, and get you your your sobriety get on the the sobriety um path you know i i can't get out of my mind the 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 congratulations that you deserve for for remaining um sober for 20 and 30 years respectively um but i want you to to share with us mike if you will uh what are some of the I'm going to give you a question and you can answer it in two ways or both ways. What are okay. some of the, the calls that you or the, the, the dangers that you try to avoid in your day-to-day life that you think could possibly lead you to a, a using situation? What are some of the tools that you use in your day-to-day life on the straight and narrow you're an expert at it now it's been 30 years but i'm i'm pretty sure that it is a daily um a, a daily uh, not not struggle um, some active decision making that takes place uh, I'll share some of that with us right excellent question so <clears throat> in our program we recognize that the addict has relapses from time to time and a relapse doesn't necessarily pick up the drug or you know to get high a relapse started starts long before and i think that is probably what helps me is that i have been in the program and i've been clean enough long enough to recognize what are my early signs of relapse because it's going to happen um emotional sobriety is one of the one of the things that we're I'm not addressing at this stage. Um, recognize when why am I getting angry? Why is this making me feel uncomfortable? Um, what is happening to me when I'm feeling uncomfortable? What do I need to do? So exercise, eat properly, get close to nature, meditate, pray. Um, Try not to isolate. I like being alone, but there's a fine line between isolating and being alone. Um, so I have to also be mindful of that. So those are some of my things that I need to be aware of. Um, when I start becoming 
too obsessed with something um, or I start becoming a little manic, um, I need to, you know, sometimes somebody who knows me would say, hey, Michael, you get a little manic there. I have to watch that as well because on the other side of a mania is the depression. And that sometimes goes so low that I feel like saying, you know what, frig this because life is so difficult and it feels so awful. I may as well go and get high. But because I'm constantly going to the meetings, and that is super important because I'm always going to meetings and I'm always reminded that the disease of addiction is going to creep upon you when you least expect it. And you have to always be vigilant. And I hear other people share. I hear people who have relapsed and they go out and they come back and I hear the pain and it reminds me of what I went through. And those those are a lot of the things that help me to stay clean and sober. I think if I were to stop going to my meetings, I would probably relapse. So it's crucial for me to stay with the meetings. The Zoom meetings is good and it's not so good. You have a Zoom meeting. I mean, you can just turn your phone on now. For anybody out there who thinks they may be having a problem, just go on any Zoom link. You can join a meeting. You can listen. You can introduce yourself and you can get more involved as you wish. But there are Zoom meetings now 24 hours a day for any addition, any issue that you're having with addiction or otherwise. So just for anybody listening out there, there is help out there. But so for me, meetings. You, Google mm -hmm. that. you just Google, Google a meeting yes. and, and click Zoom link. Right. You can just Google Zoom meetings for Narcotics Anonymous or Zoom meetings for Alcoholics Anonymous. And you'll see a lot of links coming up. They have meetings in Australia, Sweden, you name it. If you want to do a meeting in China, there are meetings all over. And, you know, we really don't have any excuse anymore to not do a meeting. However, I still miss my face-to-face -face because there's an energy in the room of recovery that you can't quite pick up in Zoom. But... Zoom definitely has its place. I mean, I've met people in England and Ireland and all of that from these meetings. So it definitely has its advantages. Well, let me let so me I think I, I, uh -huh. Sorry, before we go much further, I want to just, you know, kind of reiterate some of the stuff that you, you mentioned. Yeah. So you try to stay conscious of your emotional state at yes. all times. Such that if you find yourself getting um, angry, any extreme of emotion, you try yes. to to actively um, moderate that back into into some kind of sustainable band. You, yes. For you personally, um, a connection with nature and exercise and staying healthy those are are the things that help keep you um, strong enough to stay sober. Um, yes. And of course, yes. being you know a, a healthy diet and exercise um, and that kind of stuff is gonna is gonna assist anybody. I think that, I think I can safely say that across the yes. board, that's gonna be um, an important positive tool to have in your toolkit um, on any journey of recovery. But there was one thing you said that I would like to touch on a little, and you said. For, for friends of yours who know you or family members who can see when you're getting a bit manic, they can point it out to you and you say, well, let me, I need to dial this back. But what 
is mania and what i don't i don't want a textbook thing anybody can google it but explain to me in your own in our own language here what is mania what is it when you get in a manic what do you mean by that all right so you have hypomania and then you have full-blown mania with hypomania i go how i visualize it is that my energy level goes above normal so now Everything for me is fast thinking. People aren't thinking fast enough. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go. You can't figure that out yet, kind of thing. Um, and I will go without sleep or I'll go with very little sleep. Um, I get hypersexual. I, I'm charming. I'm actually charming. Um, I, I will do a lot of work in a short space of time. I do everything to extreme. So it's like I'm, I'm revving the engine. Um, and then yes, I burn right. the oil yes. out of the engine. Right? So, so that's for me. And it's a nice feeling. It's a high. It's a bit of a high to be in a hypomania. However, the mania can go to another level where you're actually, it's called a mixed mania, where you're actually depressed and manic at the same time. Now, that's an awful feeling. Nobody likes me when I'm like that. Nobody likes me because now well, I'm, I'm cranky. Yeah, sorry? You do get like that from time to time, even in your sober yes. state. Yes, yeah. And in extreme mania, which I've never experienced, people say they start feeling like God and they can fly and, you know, they get psych going to psychosis and in some cases psychotic. But my mania never goes that high, thank God. But what has happened to me over the last couple of years, I guess, is as you get older, dropping testosterone, hormones change naturally. I find that I tend to go more into depression rather than into hypomania. Um, Which is kind of depression. Exactly. Depression sucks. I remember there was a girl in our program years ago who said she had never experienced a depression. And it's, she said that for years. She said hers is only hypo and, and manic and hypomanic. And as she got older, she contacted me one day and said is this what depression feels like and when she described me I said yep and since then she has been experiencing more and more and more depressive episodes and I think it I think what happens is as we get older we tend to go more into depression and less manias mm -hmm. I, I remember there was a class I went to this is this is one of many manic episodes that I went into, but this one is very, very clear to me. Um, and I behaved inappropriately. And I had no idea that what I had done was inappropriate. It just never dawned on me. It's not until like the next day I got calls and say, hey, Michael, you realize what you did was inappropriate. And then it hit me and I got rotted. Yes, you're right. So that that is when I really understood what mania felt like so so, so we, may have, we may have crossed we may have crossed i don't mean to cut you but we may have crossed or overlapped the the mental health issue with the addiction issue um yeah which which i i find very interesting and and it may need to even be another episode because you know my listeners mm -hmm. always complain that things are too long but um you, you, these experiences, these, these manic, depressive, mixed mania, anything of that nature, those are all risks 
of of relapsing for for you um into addiction yes is that, is that absolutely uh, absolutely in fact uh, what i just described outlined to you is actually dual diagnosis because i described this uh -huh. To people in our 12-step NA program, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. I thought everybody who was an addict would experience these things, and a lot of them don't. So I realized that this is a separate disease from the addiction, um, yeah. and it makes oh. it it really is challenging for people like us with dual diagnosis to remain sober. Um, I went to a dual I diagnosis know. meeting the, the other night on Zoom. And I had the most clean time of everybody in the room. So I know it's really challenging to stay clean and sober when you have these mood swings. So you medicate for the for the mental health aspect? Unfortunately, yes. I'm still I'm still I still have not accepted it. I still resent the fact that I have to take medication from obvious reasons. Okay, you know, I'm into the healthy thing, the working out, the this, and to have to pop something artificial in my mouth every night, I resent it. But that's another journey of in of itself. But right. yeah, I do. Well, well, um, you know, more power to you for, for being disciplined enough to, to, to continue to do it, especially when you do carry that resentment. I know I, I would, I don't think anybody would like the idea of having to take a pill every day for whatever, whether it's allergies or, or mental health issues. So I, I can mm -hmm. understand, um, you know, you should again be, be congratulated for, for, for staying disciplined with that, you know, because if you, if you yeah. fail on that, it could lead to other things. So, it's all part of the package, right? Yep. Yep. Well, um, Mike, I want to say that this this discussion took us to some places that I did not expect we would get to. Um, some, but I think the discussion was very valuable. Um, you know, I I'm going to to add some some information at the end of the episode. Um, some contact information and details. Um, I want to say, um, certainly on, on your behalf and ours, that if you suspect that you are having an issue, you're having suicidal thoughts or you feel depressed, the world feels like it's too much, um, or if you are abusing a substance or substance more, should, and further, somebody who is in one of these situations please try and get some help reach out to the person you know the research i'll give you some information and try and get some help because help is there you are loved you are valued and just like mike you can end up 30 years clean and sober and very well loved person and professional thanks very much for your time mike i really appreciate it thanks isa thanks isa and if there's anybody out there who feels a need to speak to somebody like myself feel free to reach out and i'll send you a couple of those zoom zoom links as well yes. you can post it. we have a, we have a voice note um link at the at the on this platform so if you do want to reach out, just send us a voice note. We'll get we'll get back in touch with you. We'll send you what you need. We'll we'll speak to you. I'll put you on the mic if you think that will be helpful. 
um, I can so generously offer to, to help anybody who might need help. Thanks a lot, people. Remember, it's too long. Listen at one and a half times the speed and you'll save some time. Share the episode with your, your friends if you think it would be interesting to them. And as usual, audience of one, mass appeal is not the aim. And here are some additional details. Thanks, Mike. Most welcome, Issa. It was a pleasure. All right. That was, that was a fantastic story, Mike. Um, I cannot say thank you enough. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that this story, somebody who, who hears it will use it as a, a point of encouragement or caution or guidance or something. Um, I think it was a useful discussion. So the mental health helpline in Jamaica is, and I'll give you just a second to grab your pencil and paper to write this down. It's a recently rejuvenated helpline and it works. I've recommended it to, to one person and they called me after and they said it helped and they changed their status from black to a smiling picture of themselves sometime after making contact. So please, the number is 888-639-5433. I'm going to read it one more time if you just need a few more seconds to, to get your pen and paper. 888-639-5433. If somebody you know is suffering from overwhelm or things don't feel like, you know, they make sense, everything feels like too much, you're having dark thoughts, you feel helpless, um, if you're struggling with substance abuse, any of those things, um, you know, get help. There's, you can also enter into your browser. I'll give you a, a website. This one is for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it's aacaribbean.org slash Jamaica. One more time, aacaribbean.org slash Jamaica. Um, on a more, more specific um, resources, the Ligani Serenity Group, which is a, a, an AANA group, they meet every day at 7 p.m. at St. Peter and Paul Church in Ligany, Kingston. There are meetings at Stella Myers Church, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday at 7 p.m. The Blessed Sacrament Cathedral in Mobe meets on Thursdays at 5, 5 p.m. Mary's Gate of Heaven in Negril meets Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 p.m. Our Lady of Fatima Catholic Church in Ocherios meets at 5 p.m. Even though these meetings are all at church, people, they are non-denominational, they're open and they're welcoming. Don't be put off by that. The churches just happen to be a place where have the appropriate facilities and they're open all the time and they are much more welcoming and if you're looking for a meeting on zoom 
um, you can go to aa-intergroup.org slash meetings. That's aa-intergroup.org slash meetings. Or you can just Google AA meetings on Zoom, NA meetings on Zoom, Gambling Anonymous meetings on Zoom, uh, whatever you might need, and you will find a welcoming place. So on that note, my people, please share this episode. Send us a voice note if you like, if, um, if you're listening on the Anchor platform, um, follow. And peace out.